Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 8. There's a See some new faces here this morning. We are really grateful, as Adam said a little bit earlier, really grateful, A, that you worship Jesus, and B, that you would honor us by coming to our worship and joining our church family and being a part of us today. You encourage us, and we hope we can encourage you. My name is Mark. I have the uh, privilege of being on staff here as one of the ministers, and uh, just love this church and this community, and we're glad you're with us here today. We have been in a lengthy series through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're taking them and putting them together chronologically to the best of our estimation to tell the storyline of Jesus, uh, all that took place in his life and what's been revealed to us. Over the last month, we've been focusing in John chapter 7 and 8 in our chronology, and it is one massive moment in the life of Jesus uh, that we've been spending four or five weeks on where he has interactions with religious leaders who are beginning to challenge him. Uh, We've talked about from the arrival stage of Jesus to the period of obscurity where he was just a kid growing up in a community, a carpenter's son, to a period of recognition where through the teachings and through the miracles, people began to acknowledge that this might be the promised one that, Jesus, that God would send, this thing called the Messiah, this deliverer. Now we're in this stage of the revolution where Jesus is beginning uh, to challenge the teachings when truth is contested. And you're going to see in chapter 7 and 8 of John, what Jesus is teaching about who he is is being contested. It's being argued with. And he's being challenged. And Jesus does this. Now, it depends how you read it. You could really think that Jesus is just going off and being mean. I don't think he is. Because in chapter 7, the question was raised, could this be the Messiah? And by the end of chapter 8, they want to kill him. So Jesus is responding to the motivation that would get them from wondering at the Feast of Tabernacles if this was the Messiah that was promised because the buzz was that he was this person. And at the end of it, when Jesus brings truth forward, they want to kill him. So before we sit in judgment on the religious leaders of the day, I'm going to treat this message a little differently than we do most every Sunday. It's going to be more of a conversation, hopefully, between you and me as we walk through this text and see what's taking place. How do you respond when someone shows you that what you thought was true isn't true? And how do you respond when someone tells you a truth you don't like? So before we sit in judgment on the religious leaders, we're going to have to see ourselves reflected in the text because Jesus begins to reveal truth about the decisions we make and the choices we make. And our response will be one of two. It'll either be to receive it and realize he's right and trust him or reject him and want to remove him completely from the scene to get him out of our business and away from our truth. You see, it begins with, is he Messiah? And it ends in chapter 8 with, he needs to go. It comes down to choices. And every one of us will get to make a decision today based on understanding what Jesus is saying of whether or not we trust that he's good and wise or whether or not we just want him to be quiet and to leave us alone. Let's begin in verse 21. And that's a happy way to start a sermon, right? You're all like, really? I came today? Well, we're glad you're here. Verse 21. Once more, key clue here. It's a repetitive teaching of Jesus. 
Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is this why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of the world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. Any questions? You see, we wonder if Jesus is always so ambiguous, so ethereal. You know, he's always talking in these parables and concepts. No, he lays the truth down. But before you jump to the conclusion that God has selected some and he's going to reject the others, no, Jesus is saying to them, you have not chosen me. I've revealed myself to you. I am showing you who I am. I am teaching you truth and you know it's true and you choose to reject it. So when he says, I am going and you cannot come, it's not because he wouldn't let them come. They wouldn't let themselves come. Do you get it? He's saying, I'm going to go, and you won't go with me. And because you won't go with me, you will die in the sins that own you. See, we wonder, is there only one way to peace with God? And the answer is yes, Jesus is revealing it. And we have one of two choices. We either trust that Jesus is telling us the truth that resonates in our hearts, or we reject him and we want him put away with, be done with. I don't believe him. I don't trust him. I'm going to choose my own path. So the first point I want to make this morning of two is this. Belief determines life or death. Jesus tells us this. This is not a preacher making this up. This is not a manipulative tactic to get people to do something that I want you to do. It's right here in the text. Jesus said, if you don't follow me, you'll die in your sins. So if you wonder deep in your heart if there's more than one way, Jesus is telling us, if you trust him, there isn't. Belief determines life or death. And the word belief doesn't mean that at one moment in your life you acknowledge that Jesus was better than you. It doesn't mean that there was a moment when you looked back and said, okay, I, you know, I, I think he did die on the cross for the sins of the world, and I do believe he was raised from the dead. That's not what we're talking about, belief. Belief is a response. It's a daily response to the reality of who Jesus is. Look at verse 25. They ask, who are you? I want to pause here for a moment. Did they not know? Oh, they absolutely knew that he wasn't like them. They knew that he did things that they could not do. They knew that the crowds were responding to his truth. They knew that he was bringing life and freedom into other people's lives, and yet they asked him the question, who are you? And I love Jesus' response in verse 25. Just what I have been claiming all along. See, there's no ambiguity about what he's told them he is. I have much to say in judgment of you, But he who sent me is reliable, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many people put their faith in him. So what he said to them is he's made these claims. He's made three claims from the Old Testament about the Messiah. These claims are are fairly simple and straightforward. He says that he would judge, the Messiah would judge, and the Jews believed that only God could judge. So Jesus said that I've come to bring judgment, but I'll allow the Father to lead it. He also says I represent God. I've come on behalf of God to speak the words that God has given me, another messianic claim. And then the third one is he said, I please the Father which is contentious for them because they thought, they thought that they pleased God. You see, I asked you from the very beginning, what do you do 
when you want something to be treated this way and you're corrected? Do you respond with, oh, I need to change? Or do you respond with, I'm not going to listen to this. I like my way better. They thought that Jesus wasn't pleasing God by healing on the Sabbath and doing these miracles when he shouldn't have been, when he should have been resting or honoring their code or eating with unwashed hands and all of these little trivial things that they put in place to mark who was in and who was out. And Jesus said, no, no, I pleased the Father. That meant if he pleased God, then they didn't. And it said at that moment there was a decision made. Some in the audience chose to believe Jesus And some of the audience decided to kill him. It seems a bit drastic, doesn't it? Not just leave and don't listen to him, turn the channel, don't listen to his podcast, don't buy his books. No, they had to silence him because they were losing their audience because their audience realized he was right and they weren't. Jesus was returning to his father and nobody gets to the father but through the son. Not because Jesus is exclusive, not because Jesus is is angry, not because Jesus shows favorites, but the only way you get to the Father is through the Son because it's the Son's perfect blood that provides forgiveness for our sins. This is not a do it my way or you get punished. This is you did it your way, you deserve to be punished. Only through the hope of Jesus Christ and the blood of the innocent lamb are we freed. This is so much. Only an idiot like me would try to do all of this text on one Sunday. You might be mad at me. No one's more mad at me than I am right now. I don't know what I was thinking, if I was at all. So let me take this big, rich text and boil it down to one of those little statements that preachers throw out. A Christian dies in the Lord because he finds his life in the Lord. And an unbeliever dies in his sins because he finds his life in his sins. I think this is what Jesus is saying to us. That if you trust me, and you die in me, and you give yourself to me, you'll find life because I will be the reason you find life. Not because you did certain things or you acted a certain way or you did a better version of you on part two. And what Jesus is actually saying is the unbeliever will die in their sins, not because God doesn't love them, not because Jesus wouldn't forgive them. They die in their sins because it's in their sins that they're trying to build their lives. They're using the satisfaction, the temporary satisfaction of their sinful choices, taking advantage of another person, using another person, lying and cheating and stealing and doing those things to create a life for them that gives them momentary satisfaction. And Jesus is simply saying, if you follow that path, you're not following me. And if you're not following me, you won't find life. But there's something even greater than this. We're not talking about life eventually when you die. We're talking about life on the journey. You see, Jesus can bring life into our experiences right now if we trust him. But instead, we walk into the darkness, hoping for momentary satisfactions that might give us some semblance of life. And we're like, well, this is all the satisfaction I get. It's good enough for me. But ultimately, you're going to end up in a dark place alone. And Jesus will say, the reason you won't find life and you'll die in your sins is because you trusted your sins to give you life. And they said, who are you? And he said, I'm exactly what I've been saying all along. You see, they would not examine the evidence with sincerity. They would not listen to what he said and trust it. And that's one of the hardest things for me to ask people to do when I ask them to believe. And, and don't take this the wrong way. I, I respect the person who comes to me and says, but I want evidence. <clears throat> and the hardest thing about faith is evidence comes on the other side of your faith. And that seems backwards to us. You mean I have to, I have to trust that doing this, that he'll be faithful? Yeah, because your trust is in him, not in the doing. The doing only reveals the trust. 
So every now and then, for everyone in this room, you're going to have to step out of the boat and walk on water, even though you've never done it before and you've never seen anybody else do it. Because therein you find that the power of God is real. He's given you enough reason. He said, when you lift up the Son of Man, when you put him up on the cross, and he comes out through the resurrection, and he ascends into the heavens, you're going to understand. When you lift up the Son of Man, when you lift him up in his suffering, you also lift him up in his exaltation. And when you lift him up in his suffering and exaltation, you'll understand who he is. And he calls every one of us to believe. And he told us it's a matter of life or death. The second point is that belief determines freedom or bondage. It determines the life we live after we believe. It's the life we live after we receive life. Verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. I don't know what you, if you write in your Bibles, physical Bibles, but if you underline verse 31, you'll have understood the heartbeat of this text. He says, if you hold to my teachings, you really are my disciples. People ask all the time, how do I know that I'm loved? How do I know I'm valued? How do I know I'm going to be saved? Because Jesus told you you would be. And he said, and the way you experience that is to do what he says. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. As Adam pointed out earlier in his introduction to this morning, I don't think there's a person in this room who doesn't want freedom. I mean real freedom. Freedom from your past. Freedom from the addictions of today. Freedom from the depression and the anxiety and the shame. Church, am I preaching to the right audience? <clears throat> There's not a person who looks back and says, hey, my background is messed up. I love when I meet people in the foyer and they come up and they go, ah, it's been a long time since I've been in church. Good. You're more welcome here than you know. Because the reality is that God has called you to, to find out if he's real. He'll do all the proving. You just need to respond. You just need to come and remain open. They answered, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Time out. The Jews have been under slavery from the beginning because they were knuckleheads. They wouldn't believe God, they wouldn't trust God, and they were constantly in slavery. 70 years in Babylon, the Assyrian captivity. And right now, when these men were saying this to Jesus, they were under the sword of Rome. They didn't have freedom. They didn't even have their own king. They had a king placed by Roman authority. They couldn't understand. You see, sometimes we spend so much time arguing that Jesus isn't who Jesus is that we can't see who we are. In slavery, in oppression, in bondage, and yet complaining about his methods to free us. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. And remember time, every time Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it's because we're not dealing with truth. I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. When we realize we're in bondage, your best efforts won't get you out of it. I've had a lot of conversations this week. They weren't the good kinds. Conversations with people who got caught rather than confessed. People who are, who are facing dire circumstances because they were in the darkness thinking it would never get exposed and then the lights turned on and they were exposed for exactly who they were. I don't know about you and I, don't, I hope this isn't too much editorial but I tire when I see public personas simply saying out loud, oh, that's not who I am. Nope, that's exactly who you are and that's what we need to deal with. There's darkness in all of us. We hide in the darkness. We don't want people to see the truth. And when the truth comes out, then we say, well, that's not really who I am. Yes, your actions indicate your heart. 
So let's change who we are, huh, church? And Jesus is telling us here that you don't change yourself by doing better. You change yourself by trusting the son. You have to be adopted into the family to be freed from sin. This is what he means when he said, the son will set you free and you will be what? Free indeed. You see, the deepest knowing of Jesus only comes through doing what Jesus asks you to do. I love what Dallas Willard says. You want to be a disciple of Jesus? Do what he says. There's a definition. You see, life in Jesus leads to learning more about Jesus and learning more about Jesus leads to liberty. How difficult it is for proud people to admit that they need freed. And the difference between being freed and being in bondage is that you're not, you don't free yourself. Jesus frees you. In fact, verse 34, a little translation says, whoever keeps on practicing sin is the servant of sin. Remember, you have to choose whether or not you want to believe in Jesus. It's a matter of life or death. And it's the matter between freedom and bondage. Verses 37 through 41. I know you are Abraham's descendants, Jesus' words, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. Pause. Remember, what do you do when someone tells you you're wrong? Do you push back against them and make it personal or do you open yourself up to the fact that you already knew you were wrong and now you need to respond? He said, I know you're Abraham's descendants, yet you're ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. You won't listen to what I say. You won't take in what I'm offering you. You've already rejected it because it makes you look wrong. And he says, and you have no room and you're trying to kill me. This is the first time that Jesus has acknowledged publicly and to them, I know what you're trying to do. This is not a schizophrenic person wondering if they're after him. He knows they're after him. He's read the prophecies. He knows what they will do to him, and he went through this anyway. I am telling you what I have seen in my father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Uh Uh-oh. Jesus just picked the wound. He said, I'm doing what my father says, and you're doing what your father says. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, and you would do the things Abraham did. I think this is the time the kids would yell, oh, smack. Okay, maybe they don't say that anymore. I'm not a kid. As it is, you are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your father does. And they responded, we are not illegitimate children. The only father we have is God himself. Uh Uh-oh, what happened? Jesus brought up lineage. He said, I come from the father, you come from the father of lies. You're trying to kill me. You say you're of Abraham. Did Abraham try to kill anybody? Did Abraham believe that that killing someone? No, Abraham was a man of faith. Abraham was a man who had one of the most difficult jobs a husband had ever do. Let me explain. God said to Abraham, you're about to receive all the inheritance of your, your father who just passed away, but I don't want you to keep that. I want you to leave the land and the flocks and everything, and I want you to come with me. And it says that he went not knowing where he was going. Husbands, help me. If you went home tonight and said, hey, we're moving, and your wife said, where? And you responded, I don't know. How well would that go? Well, when are we leaving? I'm not sure. Hmm. How long are we staying? No idea. How are we going to survive? God will take care of it. How well is that going to go, guys? Is that going to be a conversation you can't wait to have? Or are you going to be going, it better be of God? Well, Abraham stepped out in faith, not knowing where he was going. In other words, Abraham didn't have to be right to trust God. 
He just knew who God was. And Jesus was saying, you're of Satan who's telling you that I can't be trusted when you know that my, the evidence of what I've given you is everything the Bible said would happen. The word of God was not open and they weren't searching it. They weren't seeking it. So I ask you, are you sincerely seeking the words of Jesus and putting them into play? Because if you're not, your belief is weak. And then they said, did you notice this? We're not illegitimate. What does that come from? Guess who they were accusing was? We know Joseph's not your daddy. So how dare you bring in parenting to us? And it was one of those moments that the crowd would have gone, ooh, that's low. The only father we have is God himself. You see, they had made a mistake that they, be- they believed that physical parentage was what would save them, not spiritual fathers. They, they believed that because they had the same bloodline as Abraham, that they were God's people. And Jesus said, no, God's people are adopted into the family and I'm the one who brings them in. I'm the one who adopts them into the home. I'm the one who brings them into the family of God. You see, even today, people still get confused. How does Paul use the term Israel in the book of Rome? I don't think he's talking about physical lineage. I think he's absolutely talking about spiritual lineage. And the crowd didn't like it because he tagged them again. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and now I'm here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? Am I telling the truth? Why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Now, I've been taught that's not the way you end a sermon. But God just did. You see, let me ask you a series of questions. and just You don't have to answer out loud, but just process with me. Has Jesus ever lied to you? Has Jesus ever, when you've been obedient, has Jesus ever used your obedience to harm you? Has he ever harmed somebody else with your obedience? Has Jesus ever given you a reason to believe that you could not invest in him and he would then invest in you? Let's take Jesus out of those four questions and let's put Satan's name in there and let me ask you a question. Has Satan ever abused you? Has he ever asked you to do something and then use it against you to bring shame and dishonor? Now some of you are going, well, he's never really talked to me. You get what I'm saying, right? That when you compare the options. Jesus is saying, all that I've done, the miracles, the teachings, the truth, the healings, all the things that I've done, and you've seen me do them, and they've never harmed a single person. In fact, they brought people out of bondage into freedom, and yet you don't trust me. And Satan offers you the exact same things with no semblance of truth, and you buy into him. You see, the worst bondage is the kind that the prisoner does not recognize. And Jesus said, you, you won't hear me. You won't see me. Your eyes are closed and your ears are shut and you've already determined you must choose because choosing to believe in Jesus is the difference between life and death and it's the difference between bondage and freedom. In fact, in John chapter five, verse 40, he said to these same people, you will not come to me to have life. And if we don't come to Jesus to have life, and I don't mean a historical moment in your past, I mean each and every day. Is today, today, am I going to be a disciple of Jesus or am I going to ask Jesus to be a disciple of me? 
Am I going to ask him to follow me or am I going to follow him? Am I going to create sacred space in my life that I silence the world and for just moments I sit in the presence and remind myself at the most crucial intersections of my life, is Jesus good and is he wise? Can I trust him? He says, too many will not come to me to have life. You see, the difference between a Christian or a believer and an unbeliever is a believer believes that Jesus is the way and an unbeliever believes that they're the way, that money's the way, that relationships are the way, that power's the way, that accomplishment's the way, that achievement and possessions are the way. And Jesus had none of those things and he still said, I'm the way. And the only way you know that Jesus is the way is to trust and do what he says. I've truthfully never met someone who actually put into practice what Jesus called us to become Whoever did the things that Jesus did and looked back with regret. They only look back with regret that they didn't start sooner, that they didn't experience it quicker, that they were waiting to die to experience heaven when they could experience heaven right now. See, if, you're, if you don't have a saving relationship with Jesus, what does that mean? If you have not given yourself to him as a disciple, if you've never said, I want to follow him. I want to trust him. I want to experience Jesus in my life. If you've never said that, I would love to have a conversation with you. And I'm not a high-pressure salesman. Anybody who knows me really well is, I hate to ask for anything for fear of rejection. But I'd love to tell you why I follow Jesus, and I'd love to ask you what, and show you from the Bible what Jesus asks of you to become his disciple. But please understand, today's message is about this. He doesn't want you to temporarily try it. He wants you to sell out to give it all. Don't stick your toe in the water. Jump in. Belly flop. Have a ball. All in. If you'd love to have that conversation, I'm, part of the reason I'm doing this is the Cardinals beat the Cubs last night and I don't want to hear it. So if you want to come talk to me about Jesus, come see me. If you want to bust my chops, wait till next week. But I'm seriously, I'd love to meet you in the foyer. I'd love to have a conversation about what it means to follow him. Because there's nothing more important than for you to choose today life and freedom. Don't wait another day. Don't wait another moment. Start a conversation. Trust yourself by faith to who he is. If you need to repent, it's been a rough week in my world because there's been a lot of people caught instead of confessing. And when you get caught, when the lights come on and you're in the midst of your sin, that's different than when you confess it and you bring it to the light where Jesus can bring healing and hope. And none of these circumstances are out of God's control. He's absolutely still in charge. But some of us today need to repent. Repenting means you change your mind about who Jesus is and what he asks, and then you live that out each and every day. Some of us in this, need to, in this room, whether we do it publicly or privately, we need to fall on our knees before Jesus and tell him what he already knows. Come into the light and find hope. And if you need someone to share that with, if you need someone to, to talk to about what you need to change in your life and how you can't do it on your own, you can't save yourself, only Jesus can. Then I'd like you to go out in the foyer and in the northeast corner, you'll see some pub tables and we have elders and some of our counselors and some of our discipleship ministry staff that would love to meet you there and pray with you. We're not gonna get all up in your business. We're gonna walk with you in prayer because we believe in the power of prayer and faith in Jesus Christ, the world changes. And for some of you, you just need a place of faith. You don't have a community. You're trying to do this all on your own and you're not really committed and you need a, you need a, a group of people to walk with you. And if you're messed up, this is the perfect church for you because the preacher is and everyone else is too. And if you're looking for a place to connect, 
where you can serve and be loved and journey with other folks and grow together and hold one another accountable, then I would ask you to go out to our Welcome Center and just introduce yourself and say, I'm interested in becoming a part of this church family because we're more than an event. We're a community of faith spread throughout the four states area. And it's better to walk together than to walk alone. I think Jesus is worth choosing. And each one of us this morning gets to choose. Chip sang it during the time of communion. I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to Jesus, I freely give. Today, we're calling each and every person to choose life or death, freedom or bondage, and find life. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.